faith-filled prayer. We'll be looking at three points on your outline today. The priority of prayer, the purpose of prayer, and the power of prayer. See, when I was young, I'm not too old, yeah, between 30 and 40, but when I was young, I used to love watching um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Who used to watch that? Quite a few of us, yeah. Okay. Remember, there were three different options. There was a, when you've got, you know, at every stage of the questions, there were three different options, essentially. There was one, the 50 50. There was ask a friend or call a friend, phone a friend. And then there was the ask the audience. And we know, okay, fast forward a few years, I think it's a bit more complicated now, but those were the simple options. Even the most intellectual and the most knowledgeable person, persons realised that they needed help. There were some questions that they would get to that they just couldn't quite figure out. What is your go-to when you face challenges of life? What is your first response? What are you prone to do first? Do you face your challenges head on yourself? Or do you call others? Do you call your family members, your friends, your colleagues at work to solve the issue at hand? Or do you call on the living God first? I think if we're being honest with ourselves, the we tend to leave God to further down the line, especially in times of trouble. But as with who wants to be a millionaire, there are often times that we need that lifeline. Sometimes there are the hardest questions that we need answers to. Those questions that it's difficult to refer immediately to a friend because they're not going to necessarily have those answers. So in life situations, we sometimes have a list of procedures. Sometimes we have, okay, I'll go to that person first. I'm not sure. If they don't have the answers and solutions, okay, then I'll go to this person. But do we go to God first? Do we seek him diligently first? And so here we find prayer is the priority. In any situation, the number one thing we should go to is prayer. And so as we read verse 13 again, it says, Anyone among you suffering, let him pray. So James stated previously in chapter 1 to ask God. And if anyone lacks wisdom in facing any and various different kinds of trials, then we should pray, seek your maker. First port of call is to pray. Is that your disposition in times of trouble? In times of difficulty, is that what you go to first? See, John Bunyan defines prayer as this. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring of the heart or soul to God. Through Christ in the strength and the assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word. For the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. See, prayer involves the Trinitarian Godhead himself. 
praying to God the Father through the eternal, the eternally begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, by the help of the Holy Spirit. It is sincere. It is sensible. It is affectionate. It's a pouring out, pouring out of our heart before the Lord. Why? For your good, for my good, for the purposes of God, with submission to his plan, to his will. And so as we keep this in mind, James commands these Jewish Christians to pray. He says, pray in suffering. Pray when you're glad. Pray in times of sickness. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray together. See, James, his old nickname was old, old man, old camel knees, they called him. His knees were so hard because he was always praying on his knees. That was his position to seek the Lord. What in your life characterizes that you are a person of prayer? What testifies in your life that you commit and prioritize prayer? Why should you pray? See, notice that prayer is explicit in every verse from verse 16 to 18. It is the foremost thing that we must do. It's identified as a privilege that you can do in all situations of life that you face. See, prayer acknowledges that God for who he is, it acknowledges God for who he is, his power, his sovereignty, his holiness, his majesty, his faithfulness, his holiness, his whole character. See, your prayer life will reveal how dependent on God you really are. Prayer seeks answers to questions we have no solutions to. Questions that our friends, our family, those around us can help with but have no true solution to. Prioritizing prayer and keeping it in high esteem in our lives means that this, it means this, that we ensure that there are no sins that will hinder our prayer. I often think as a husband, I can't come before the Lord if I've messed up at home with my wife. I can't pray before going to bed if I've had an argument and I haven't confessed my sins and repented. The Lord says it's a hindrance to my prayers. We must forgive others. It means we confess our sins as our part, as the part of our prayer each and every time we pray. We confess and ask the Lord for forgiveness so that our prayers may be answered. It means that we meet with our Creator, our Father, our High Priest, our prayer coordinator our financial advisor, our counsellor, our ever-present help, our king, our strength, our healer, our fortress, our strong tower, our provider, our wisdom, our righteousness, our faithful king and lord. See, why is James given this imperative to pray? Because we don't prioritise prayer. We struggle to pray. I struggle to pray. We do not pray because we don't think highly of prayer. We, we put prayer on the back burner. It's the last thing we come to when it's really desperate. We struggle with our prayer life because we have a small view of God. 
The question is whether God is an acquaintance of ours or is he truly our Lord and Saviour? Is he our friend that we can call upon? Is he the divine God that we profess and we call out to on a Sunday service? Or do we live with him every day, enjoying his presence? See, we need to pray much. We need to converse with God much. We need to know this God that we will be with for eternity now, each day, growing in fondness of him. There's so many things to bring before the Lord. I was listening to Paul Washer recently. And something that he said stood out to me. He said that he's young, even from young, his children, he told them, especially the boys, pray for your wife. Even from the age of four, he was telling his kids to pray for your future wife. Why? It's important. Prayer is important because we don't just get into the situations of life. We pray and ask the Lord, what's your will? We seek the Lord. We ask him, even before time, what do you want me to do, Lord? I don't know what I'm doing with this career of mine. Direct my path. We seek the Lord. It's an encouragement even to the young ones. Don't think I've got to wait until I'm older and out of my parents' house before I pray. Pray from now. Pray about your future jobs. Pray about your schooling. Pray about your education. Pray about your wife, your, your husband. Pray about your relationship with the Lord. That that may grow. What are some of the things to commit to prayer? Those things I've mentioned. So many. There's so many things to We say we, don't, we can't, we, we find it difficult to pray, but when we look around, just get in, into your car. You've got to pray for safety. We wake up, we thank the Lord. I slept and I woke up again because you sustained me. It's prayer all around friends, our family, colleagues, people to be saved. But we feel inadequate with our words. I feel this. What stops us from praying regularly? We feel inadequate with our words. We pray, we find it difficult to pray out loud in public. A feeling of, am I eloquent like that other person? Can I pray like they do? Sometimes it's laziness. I'll pray later. I'll seek the Lord later. Sometimes it's our lack of gratitude. When we don't know what the Lord has given to us, what he's blessed us with in Christ, we don't know how to be grateful. Times is an unregenerate heart, a heart that hasn't been submitted to Christ, that doesn't know Christ. And so prayers are more pray for the nation, pray. People do that. Or something happens on Twitter, pray for. But where's the prayer coming from? Is it a heart that's submitted to God? Who are you praying to? The condition of the heart is more important than the words that we say, than we say. See, when your heart is right with God, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When our heart is full of the Lord and loves the Lord, our prayer life is changed. 
The way we pray is changed. It's not the eloquent words, but it's a heart of prayer, a heart submitted to God. And so whilst there are no methods, particularly in our conversation with the Lord, because as you know the Lord, you, you desire to converse with the Lord, but there are, especially for the little ones, how do I come before the Lord? What do I pray about? Remember this, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication before the Lord. You can pray through the Bible, pick up the Psalms, read it and say, come and see the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh Lord, I thank you that you are good. Praise through scripture. Observe what it says. Write down what it says and then ask the Lord, help me to obey this. It's not just what we know, but what we do with what we know. They're the five fingers of prayer. Pray for those who are close to you, the thumb. Those who will surround you. Pray for those who are in leadership over you, teachers. Those that teach you at school or at church. Pray for those who are in positions of authority, the middle finger. In the nation, the government, local councils. The forefinger, the ring finger, often the weakest in mobility. Pray for the weak. Pray for those who are sick, those who are weary, those who are tired. And lastly, pray for yourself. Pinky finger. Remember yourself. But don't just focus on yourself. So James outlines three categories of prayer. He talks about, first of all, praying as an individual, then praying as a collective. And also another category here, the prayer of an elder. When we look first at that prayer for the individual, verse 13 says, Ask, is anyone among you suffering? What should you do? Pray, he says. He focuses on suffering because this is the hallmark of a Christian. These Jewish Christians were dispersed and they were suffering. They were facing persecution. And he's saying, pray. Seek the Lord. Don't fret. Don't worry. Pray to the Lord. What type of hardship were they facing? This is the type of hardship in the type that's faced by soldiers. That each day I'm going out, this is warfare. I've got to be ready for today. And prayer does that. Prayer harms us to fight the good fight of faith, not in our own strength, but knowing and trusting in the Lord. So are you afflicted? Are you suffering evil? Are you facing trouble? Pray to the Lord that can save you. Why should you pray when you're suffering? Well, it is the key. It is the key to unlocking the understanding of why you are suffering. James has said that in chapter one. It gives wisdom. You gain wisdom and insight in prayer. When you're praying and you don't know what the situation is, how it's going to turn out. The Lord works in your heart to give you an understanding more and more why you're in this. He gives you patience. It gives you endurance. It perfects you and satisfies you as you're waiting for the answer. It's changing you. You receive comfort 
when you're praying. You can go before the Lord and cry before him in the secret place. He, he desires sometimes for you to really come. That's when you know that this thing hurts, Lord. But I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, my maker. So the Lord rescues the afflicted through prayer. The psalm that we read earlier on, Psalm 34, says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The righteous was speaking there was Christ. Christ suffered. Christ suffered for you and me. The Lord Himself. Our God, Father, the Spirit of God, raised up Christ even when he suffered on the cross for you and me. And so we have this saviour and high priest who we can come into his presence, who can sympathise with us in our weakness. Jesus always prayed. Jesus intercedes for us even now. See, not more so than in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see our Lord his prayer he sweat like blood in agony for you and me he prayed sincerely, sensibly affectionately pouring out his heart to God the Father for the road of suffering that was to come see verse 13 again says is anyone cheerful what should he do praise why should you sing praise when you are cheerful? It shows a heart of gratitude. Have you ever been like, so just amazed by something that you just burst out in singing? Just like your heart is so glad you begin to sing. It's, it just flows out. And in praising God, we are acknowledging that what we're cheerful about is because of him, because it comes from him. It's so easy to forget that the comfort that we have sometimes, the good times, that it's not because of us. It's just a grace. It's a gift that's been given to us. We've received it from the Lord. We must sing psalms, sing hymns. Don't be afraid to memorize some hymns and when you're going in your car, just let it out. Rejoice. You don't need to hold back. When we're painting there, we were singing. We were enjoying. Let it out. On your way to work, on your commute, anywhere, sing ceaseless praise to the Lord. He's your king. It's the prayers of the elders. See, why does James tell them to call the elders to pray over the sick? See, the context here is someone that's bedridden with sickness. Unable, they're unable to do their usual activities or possibly attending church or, or even just having trouble to pray. And he says, call for an elder. Rather, he says, call for an elder rather than going to the elder. So this is someone that's not able to attend, not able to come to church. They require assistance and most times the responsibility he's saying here rests on elders but it's not exclusive to the elders. See, we know this because James makes this point in verse 16 that also that we are to pray for one another, that you may be healed. 
So not just the elder that prays. This is not just a limited thing to physical healing either. But it does include physical healing. See, pastoral oversight is ordained by God. And therefore, those who are in this position have a certain responsibility to be prayed to be prayerful, to seek the Lord, to have a heart for the people. So we come to prayers for each other. It's a wonderful thing to come before the Lord and bring someone else's burden. Not just yours, but someone else's burden. And you keep them in prayer during the week, seeking their good, seeking that the Lord will help them in their career or whatever challenges that they're facing, in their homes, in their family, their children, that the Lord would have his hand upon them. Or if they're sick, that the Lord would heal them. The Lord answers. There's someone out there that's weak that may not be able to pray or may not know how to pray. Or you can pray with them and for them. He talks about confessing our sins to one another. Those who we love, those who we have grown to know, those we trust, to be so open, to confess with one another our weaknesses so that they may strengthen us in prayer, they may keep us in prayer. It involves acknowledging your sin against God, that all sin is against God and turning from that. And when we have that heart that just constantly wants to know God and pray to God, we also confess to one another and say, brother, sister, pray for me. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling in this area. It's important to know that only God forgives sins. We ask others to pray for us, but only God forgives sins. And so let us share our burdens. Burdens are those things that are excess, excess burdens that we can't carry ourselves. And that's why we are in the body of Christ, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that can shoulder that burden. And so let's prioritise prayer as a church, together. See, among the long list of reasons why we do not make regular prayer a priority, it's because we're unsure actually what difference prayer will make. This prayer that I'm offering... What's going to happen? What's, what's the purpose? What's going to happen to this? There's often a heart of doubting, isn't there? It's like, I'm not so sure if God's going to answer this prayer. This situation looks a bit difficult. But could it be that we doubt God in prayer because we lack understanding of the purpose of prayer? And so this is our second point, the purpose of prayer. So James starts off the letter in chapter 1, by telling these early Christians to pray in the midst of persecution and trials. And now we see towards the end, again, this reminder to pray. And actually all throughout, there's been constant reminders why we should pray, that we should seek God in prayer. We do need these reminders ourselves. We need reminders to Lord to come before the Lord and actually repent when we have not prayed, when we have not sought the Lord regularly, when we have not been dependent on the Lord. 
See, when I was training as a, as a pharmacist, I was with a pharmacy manager. And um, I remember her being on the telephone and um, some, a gentleman called up and said, I, I've received this inhaler for my asthma, thank you, but I've not received much benefit from this. And so my manager said, sir, can you just tell me how, how have you been using this? And the man sought to describe. He said, well, on the label it says two puffs every four to six hours. So the farmer said, okay, how have you used it? He said, I've been spraying it on my chest. I said, well, there lies the reason why you don't have the benefits of your inhaler, sir. And the key thing here is that, likewise, with the knowledge, without knowledge of the reason why we should pray or how we should pray, we miss all the benefits of prayer. We don't know what the purpose is, so... Why should I do it in the first place? If I don't know the purpose, then I won't be more likely to commit to doing prayer, to asking the Lord. The question then is, why should those James is addressing pray? Why should we pray? And so as we use that helpful quote from Bunyan, the per, uh, John Bunyan earlier on, the purpose of, or why is for such things God has promised or according to his word and for the good of the body of Christ, for the good of the church. We are to regularly be sincere, honest, truthful, sensible, reverent, affectionate in our conversation with God, pouring out our heart to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, in order that God receives all glory and all goodness is received by the saints of Christ who are part of the body of the believers in Christ. So it sounds wonderful. It sounds highly beneficial. It speaks of such intimacy and growing knowledge of God. We want to attain this. We want to pray. We want to pray and pour out our heart before the Lord. But if we're being honest, prayer can feel dry. It can feel dry, like my mouth is right now. It can feel dry. It's like we're talking to ourselves and no one is there. It's like sometimes we find it easier to pray when there are others present than on our own. Some of us feel that poor. When we're by ourselves, oh, I can't pray. But in the presence of others, a bit more enlivened to pray. But other times, the presence of others scares us. It scares us. It scares the living daylight out of us. Why? we can't bear for others to hear our prayers we can't bear for others to hear our small prayers and so prayer meetings can become such a difficult thing it fills us with dread and we find many excuses and say I can't make it today or actually during that prayer meeting it's like I need to go to the toilet now I'm next in line I felt I feel this pull and we've all been in those moments when we pray and others are like, hmm, hmm. 
And that affirmation is what we begin to hear and we start to align our prayers to, yes, I've reached the throne now. I'm there. I feel this pull. And then when no one says, hmm, hmm, our prayers aren't going anywhere. We need, we all want that affirmation. Am I the only one? We all want that, don't we? And it's not right, but we want it. Mm. <laughs> it's like our praise haven't hit, it hasn't hit those heights when we don't get those responses. But then when we do hear it, we seek to satisfy our ears. We seek to satisfy, sorry, the listening ears rather than glorify God and build up the body of Christ. May God help us. May God help us. And so honestly, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? See, there are times we, we tell a story in conversations and sometimes we don't remember that that person I'm speaking to, I've, I've already said this before, but with God, it's never like that. He wants us to continuously come before him. The uncreated God that's created you is never tired of hearing your prayers. He delights to hear your prayers that he may answer them. Even when you sound like a broken record. See, the purpose of prayer, of your prayers, is not to somehow change God's mind about the situation. But God wants you to pray so that his promises, according to his purposes, are revealed in his word, this living word, are fulfilled, do come to pass. And that you and I are changed. That we are changed. And how are we changed? See, true prayer, the prayer of faith, seeks God's divine wisdom, divine counsel, divine direction that we may conform to God's will. It's never us looking to impose our rights on God or our will upon the Almighty God, but rather it's a plea. It's a plea for God's goodness in whatever we go through. It's God's goodness so that God's goodness may, may be able to keep us in times of suffering until he accomplishes every purpose in that suffering. It could be that you receive divine healing from that sickness that you're facing, or maybe not, but it's for his purposes. He's put that there for his purposes. And God will answer prayers. He answers prayers even, you know, it's at times, you know, we're like, is this a yes, is this a no? The fact is God does answer prayers. That no is his answer. That yes is his answer. Sometimes it's delayed. But he answers your prayers. Just trust that his will be done. But we're not often comfortable with no as an answer. It's what we want. I prayed for this. Why is it a no? And so like a parent to a child, saying no is just as profitable as a yes. If I say no to my son, it's to warn him of something. Or to say, no, it's not the time now. 
I know what's in my mind. I know the purpose. He may not understand it. See, prayer is the means by which God chooses to involve us. involves us in the transformation of the matters and affairs of man. See, again, for such things God has promised or are according to his word. To God requires nothing from us in order to act sovereignly. He doesn't need us to pray, but he's given us the privilege to come to him to pray. So he calls us, he bids us to request, to ask for all things that he establishes, all things that he brings to past. Why? Because it grows us. It grows us in intimacy with him. As we converse with God, we know his will, we know his desires. We grow to love him more. It brings us in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ when we pray together. Prayer is the key for healing. Prayer is the key for our forgiveness. We need, to, we, we need wisdom, we need strength, we need to be thankful. We do these things in prayer, voicing out to God. See, Martin Luther said, Martin Luther said this. He said, I've got so much work to do today. I'd better spend two hours in prayer instead of one. I wonder if that's you. When you're busy and you can say, leave that, I'll come back to that. I need to press in more. I need to seek the Lord more. It's not, if we're being honest, it's not us, is it? What you want to do is like... There's things that are more of a priority. See, the prayer of faith in verse 15. James defines this back at the beginning in verse 6. says, but let him ask in faith. This is in chapter 1. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The prayer of faith is unwavering. It is steadfast. It is rooted in believing that God will accomplish his will. So that every prayer of faith believes that God will answer. That you will receive the answer from God. Why? Because it will, he will answer according to what he has promised in his word. That's the basis. So this passage of scripture can be difficult. It can be a difficult one to understand. And we must thread carefully. We must answer the question, how does faith fit with prayer? What is this prayer of faith? We can easily misunderstand and think this. We can think that only elders should pray. For the sick. And then James is not saying this at all. He's not saying that you should only seek elders to pray for you when you're sick. But what he's saying is that people are instruments in the hand of the Almighty God. And he does not mean, he does not mean that only certain people can lay hands and pray for others when they are sick. Neither does it mean that only certain people have this gift 
of healing. James is not saying that we should go about with olive oil and anoint people on their heads so that the sick may be made whole, so that they may receive physical healing. See, oil speaks of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. These things are symbolic, so we must thread carefully. God heals today. Healing is the work of God. Not some elder, not some pastor on TV. Healing is the work of God. He is the Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And if we look in particular in verse 15 of chapter 5, who gets the glory? The Bible says here, the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will raise him up. God gets the glory. If he chooses to answer the prayer, the Lord raises up. And James is not saying just because someone does not receive healing from their sickness or that they're not rescued from their afflictions and troubles, that he's not saying that they are without faith. We have examples of Paul. His thorn in the flesh. God has his purposes for these things. We have the sufferings of Christ who endured the cross for our sake. For a purpose to save us. Yet the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous Christ. But the Lord rescued him from them all. And James is not saying that all sickness comes because we've committed some terrible sin. And so by somehow we are paying this, you know, consequence of the sins that we've committed in the past or present. We know that faithful Christians do fall ill. Faithful Christians do die. But what he's saying is that it may be, however, that there is a sin that you do need to confess, that you do need to bring before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And hence, James writes, and if, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See, listen, brothers and sisters, the prayer of faith does not determine that we will receive what we want. The prayer of faith believes God, it trusts God, and depends on God with the full knowledge that God will be glorified in the outcome and it will be for our good don't let anyone de deconstruct your faith and say you don't have enough faith that's why God is not answering your prayers if you lack faith pray like the desperate father help my unbelief Lord I believe help my unbelief See, the prayer of faith believes God. Trust God. The question is, do you believe God and that he is sovereign over all things? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you know his promises? Do you know his word? Are you seeking his will or are you seeking your will? And so we get to the power of prayer. 
And this is where we finish this morning. Verse 16 to 18 says this again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. What is this power he's talking about? How does prayer work? What is this great power? This power is the work of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of his people. It is God saying, I work in and through you for my purposes, for my good pleasure. That's what Philippians says, chapter 213. And so James gives us this example of Elijah, a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. God's people had, had been ruled by various corrupt kings. And we have here a reminder of, of King Ahab, who during his reign provoked God. The Bible says more than any kings previously. But God sent Elijah to save Israel from their troubles and false gods. And Elijah pronounced by the will of God that there will be no rain. And at this time, he wouldn't have known that there was going to be no rain for three and a half years. But according to God's will and purposes, he said, there will be no rain. There will be famine. But if we know the story of Elijah in 1 Kings, this man, miraculously, the Lord provided for him in the desert, fed him. Watered him by the streams, God's providence. God fed him by the widow that he brought his way with oil, bread, flour, all that the widow had left, and the Lord multiplied it, God's leading and provision. Then the widow's son died, and she's saying, You brought wickedness upon me, what are you doing here? But the Lord worked in and through Elijah to raise up a son from death. We remember him praying and fire coming down to consume the burnt offering. But after three and a half years, at God's appointed time, at God's appointed time, Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink for there is a sound of the rushing of the rain. There was a sound of rain. So Elijah went up to the Mount Carmel and prayed. And he put his legs, his, his, his head in between his knees and prayed and asked his servant to go out and check. One, no rain. Twice, three times, four times, seven times. And then the rain came. He persisted in prayer. He was a man of prayer. But the Bible reminds us here in James. He, were, he had the same nature as we did. This man was weak. He was sinful. When Jezebel was coming to kill the prophets of God, he ran for his life. He doubted God. After those miraculous signs and wonders, he doubted God. Yet, 
the Lord answer, answered his prayers. Why? James says here, because he was fervent in prayer. He speaks of a passionate trust in God. It's not speaking of our repetition of prayer. It's not talking about our physical exertion in prayer. I was there once, banging the walls and praying to the Lord, thinking by my actions, God would answer. But it's by fervent, passionate prayer, trusting in God, that God will come through. Whatever his answer is, is his will. And James reminds us also about this righteous man. He links righteousness to Elijah. He says he has a right standing with God. He's justified. He's blameless. Doesn't mean that there's no sin in his life. Doesn't mean that we don't have sin in our lives. But because Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. This is the righteousness through faith in Jesus for all who believe. And James reminds his readers, he reminds us today, that your salvation, your righteousness, the fact that God inclines his ears to you, it's all a gift of grace. It's all a gift of grace. God, he could just smite us, but we are able to come to his presence because of grace. And here lies the heart of the matter. If the Holy Spirit is the powerful agent for effective prayer, righteousness is the cloak. It's the cloak that you wear by divine substitution of Jesus on the cross that gives you the privilege to stand in prayer with boldness before his throne, before God the Father. And so the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far away from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. So how do you then grow in faith? Filled prayers. It begins from the gift of faith, the gift of salvation. Salvation purchased by Jesus himself. For faith. Faith for faith. That's what Romans reminds us of. To continue trusting in God. And it shows itself outwardly through prayer. And what is the result? Romans 1.17 reminds us that the righteous shall live by faith. Every day we grow in dependency on God, if indeed we are followers of Christ. So are you without a relationship with Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? If you don't know this Jesus, confess your sins to God. Come before him, the God who has come in the form and likeness of man to rescue sinners, to save sinners. The Bible says he is faithful. He is just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. None of us are righteous. We have all sinned. We have come short of the glory of God. We have all gone astray. But the Bible says when we turn away, we turn to the Lord. He is able to forgive us of our sins. He grants us faith and trust in him. He alone can make you righteous. There is no righteousness in this world except in Christ. Jesus alone has the power to forgive sins. 
And so we come before God in prayer, seeking him, crying out to him that he may save. Do you know Jesus? Brothers and sisters, do you know Jesus? And yet you are struggling to pray as a Christian. Remember the privilege to come to God, to come to your Father through Jesus our Lord. The Bible says we receive help and power through the Holy Spirit. That is, that is our joy, that we don't often know what to pray, but the Spirit does. And so we must prioritise prayer. We must pray for help to pray. We pray to pray that Lord help me to pray and we purposefully we pray knowing that God brings his divine glory to himself that he grows your dependency on him why for the good of the church for you and for me amen